0: Congress kicks the default deadline can down to December. McConnell promises no help next time. Trump says ignore the subpoenas, and Biden's numbers continue to fall. Democratic control is running out of time. On the political junkie. You like Ike, I like Ike. Everybody likes Ike
1: for president.
0: like to you, and to me. I don't care how you quote
1: it. Come on and vote for Kennedy. Vote for Kennedy. Come on top Both for Richard Nixon and Henry
0: Cabot because they're the ones to lead the USA: Thanks for joining us and welcome to episode 375 of the political junkie. I'm Ken Rudin. If the Democrats control the Senate, as the numbers seem to suggest, then why is it so difficult for them to get things accomplished? Of course, I'm not as naive as that question sounds. It's a 50-50 Senate with Vice President Harris there to cast the tie-breaking vote. So it's a bit of a stretch to say the Democrats control the upper chamber. But it is fair to say that they would have a better chance at passing key elements of President Biden's agenda had they had a united party. And that's clearly been difficult when you have two centrists, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, holding off from signing on to big spending bills. Manchin's objections are easier to understand. He comes from a solidly red state that was, after Wyoming, Donald Trump's strongest in the 2020 election. Cinema is a different story. First elected to the House in 2012, advocating progressive views, she has moved steadily to the right, especially since coming to the Senate after 2018. She, like Manchin, opposes tinkering with the filibuster and says Biden's $3.5 trillion social services bill is far too expensive. But unlike Manchin, she doesn't talk to the press or explain her decisions or thought processes. She was widely derided when she voted against a Democratic bill that would raise the federal minimum wage, which hasn't increased since 2007. She cast her vote by walking up to the reading clerk and offering a thumbs down while doing a little curtsy.
2: Miss Cinema, Miss Cinema, no.
0: Perhaps her thumbs down gesture was meant to draw comparisons to the late John McCain, whose dramatic thumbs down vote several years ago helped kill Mitch McConnell's effort to repeal the Affordable Care Act. But it won her no fans among Republicans, and Democrats were furious. Cinema's habit of avoiding the press came to a boil last week. When a group of left-wing protesters, armed with cell phone cameras, followed her into a bathroom in Arizona and parked themselves outside the stall for a confrontation over her refusal to back key elements to the Biden agenda,
2: we knocked on the We need solutions to build back better plan. The that we, need. we knocked on doors for you to get you elected. And just how we got you elected, we can get you out of office if you don't support what you promised us.
0: Some have argued that the protesters crossed the line by following her into the bathroom. Others say that they had no other choice because Sinema has refused to meet with them or the media and answer anyone's questions. She's up for re-election in 2024. Dan Nowicki is the National Political Correspondent for the Arizona Republic. Dan, it's great having you back on The Political Junkie. Hey, Ken. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being on the show. Um, you know, it's understandable that Manchin is holding back from embracing Biden's programs, given the tilt of West Virginia's politics. But, but Arizona voted for Biden last year, and it now has two Democratic senators for the first time in decades. Would cinema be risking much if she supported the Biden agenda? Well, I mean, I think one thing
1: people need to, to remember is, uh, yeah, Biden carried Arizona. Uh, he carried it very narrowly. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have said that Arizona has turned blue. Um, I would say more accurately, it's purple. You know, if you look at the, the Biden's uh, race, particularly, he won a very close margin. And frankly, I think a lot of it had to do that Trump alienated so many Arizona Republicans. You know, I know many John McCain Republicans, Jeff Flake Republicans, who have told me they can't stand Donald Trump, and that may have given um, Biden the edge he needed. Uh, You know, Sidney McCain uh, had a high-profile endorsement of Biden, which gave a lot of Republicans cover to support him as well. So I think that uh, if you look at it, these, these McCain Republicans, these Flake Republicans, you know, they're still Republicans and they're, they're going to vote for Republicans down ticket. So I, I wouldn't say it's like totally trans, the state's been totally transformed yet. It is changing. So you have to remember, it, it's, Arizona's kind of complicated in that regard. So I don't think cinema uh, being a falling in line as a partisan Democratic foot soldier, like, you know, so many aggressives on Twitter want her to do or demanding that she do, would necessarily play that well in the state. I think, uh, you know, speaking of John McCain, uh, you know, it seems like a little too coincidental to not be, uh, intentional that cinema does seem to be kind of building a brand reminiscent of, you know, McCain's maverickism. Uh, you know, he was the the maverick Republican for many years, often bucked his own party, often infuriated his own party here in Arizona, you know, the state party, uh, State GOP activists, you know, they were always passing resolutions, censoring him, condemning him, this and that. As they did Um, with Blake, right? Right. And so uh, you see, that's kind of interesting seeing that on the other side of the spectrum. But, you know, a lot of the Democratic Party activists now fuming about about Senator Cinema, But I think ultimately in a general election, as McCain demonstrated uh, over the years, cinema uh, doesn't really need to worry about them, you know, because like I said, McKinney used to always run kind of run to the right during the primary. You know, that's when he would do the you know, build the build the dang fence type stuff in the prime in the primary when he had a conservative opponent. And then he'd always run to the center in the general election. And I think that's gonna that's what you'll probably see cinema do as well. That same same playbook
0: I always notice that when Republicans like Jeff Flake or like John McCain uh, break from Republican orthodoxy, they they become heroes in the media. But when when somebody like Sinema or a Joe Lieberman or somebody like that breaks from Democratic orthodoxy, they become seen as traitors. It's just interesting. Just seems like with the with the inability of Biden and the Democrats to get their agenda pushed forward, there's a growing and tremendous frustration with people like cinema who are saying oh Democrats are saying are impeding the progress.
1: Right, right. Well I mean and that's I guess understandable. They want their agenda passed, you know, as they as they want it, you know, complete. So, uh, you know, she says she doesn't like to negotiate in the press. So she has kept a lot of those details private. Um at least, not not at least, not told the press uh, what she's looking for specifically.
0: You were t- you were talking about how McCain would move to the right, uh, you know, during the primary, and uh, then move back to the center for the general election. I know, I mean, you know that there's real anger, but uh, from progressives against her, they're talking about recruiting a candidate to oppose her in the uh, 2024 primary. Do you envision her moving back to the her old progressive ways for the primary, or, I mean, could she be in danger? Let me put it this way: Could she be in some kind of danger in a primary, in a Democratic primary?
1: Well, I mean, that's an interesting question. Um, one thing is like who who would run against her in a primary. Uh, the name we hear frequently is is Representative Ruben Gallego, who is a uh, progressive uh, car- congressman from Arizona. I don't know if he if he would be actually interested in doing that. I mean, he possibly could could give her a good challenge. But it's hard to say. You know, can can the the progressive wing of the Arizona Democratic Party topple cinema? I don't know. If you look at uh, some past elections, uh, you know, it seems like the the more establishment Democrat usually beats the uh, progressive candidate uh, statewide.
0: I just have the sense that, well, one, cinema's positions are not really endearing her with the Republicans, and two, that she may very well be alienating her base. Uh, I'm just wondering if she could be left with no allies at all.
1: Lots of independents in Arizona as well. I I think I think she'd probably be okay in a general election. Again, I think you are correct. If there's any threat to her at all, it would would come in a primary. And at this point, I don't know if if I was cinema if I'd be losing any sleep over that. You know, at this stage,
0: it doesn't seem like she's losing any sleep about anything. She seems to be very content to doing her thing the way she wants to do it and not explaining anything to the media or anybody. Let me play a little bit of a tape. Uh, This was President Biden not long ago trying to explain why he's having trouble getting things done. I hear all the folks on TV saying, Why doesn't Biden get this done? well because biden only has a majority of effectively four votes in the house and a tie in the senate with two members of the senate who vote more with my republican friends she got some flack last week for for a fundraiser on her behalf by lobbying groups that are opposed to biden's social policy bill now it's one thing to be an independent and be a maverick and all that stuff but to 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 attend a fundraiser in your honor by those who were opposed to Biden's uh, agenda, that's kind of thumbing her nose at the president, no?
1: Yeah, well, certainly, you know, her, her fundraising, her donations, who her political benefactors are, I mean, that's all fair game, and I think that should be scrutinized, and I think more information is going to come out on that shortly. I mean, does it totally explain, you know, her stance and her situation? I don't think so. I mean, not to me. It's sort of, I think... Naturally, a lot of those, you know, those those groups are going to gravitate towards her, for her position. You know, they want to support her. Want to support where she's at on this.
0: You know, I'm I, I'm always aware of the comparisons with McCain, and he was probably as iconoclastic as anyone in the Senate, but he had a set of principles, and he explained his principles. It's one it's hard to understand what Sinema's principles are, but I think more importantly. Do you have any idea why she's almost impossible to interview or sit down with? Why does she have such apparent disdain or contempt for the media?
1: Well, I mean, that's certainly a big difference uh, between her and, and say, John McCain or any other Arizona senator that I covered over the years. I mean, you could always – seems like you could always get McCain or uh, John Kyle. John Kyle, right. right. On, on the phone, you know, if you needed him. If there's something breaking, a big story – uh, you could always get them, and she does not play that game. So it is a little bit different. And you certainly could argue that you know a senator's part of a senator's job is to communicate, you know, with the with her constituents through the press. So I guess from our perspective at the Arizona Republic, it's like we'd we'd like to talk to her more than we do. She does talk to us uh, from time to time.
0: What was the last time you spoke to her?
1: Sure, it's been a, it's been a while, but I, our. Uh, reporter uh, of Wingate Winget Sanchez uh talked to her not too long ago
0: I'm just thinking and I, I don't mean to sound like I'm uh, I I'm leading you in a, in this question but and I don't even know this is answerable but I mean the conventional wisdom is that the Republicans are going to capture the house or the senate or both you know in next year's midterms and so, as I said earlier, the window of opportunity for Biden is pretty limited. What if the president can't get his big social policy uh, bill passed or or even his infrastructure bill passed and voters see that Democrats can't get their act together and they decide, well, if the Democrats can't do it, maybe I'll give the Republicans another chance. How much blame do you think cinema could get? And could it hurt Senator Mark Kelly, who's uh, up, you know, seeking reelection for a full term next year?
1: I mean that that is kind of a difficult question. I assume uh, from from some quarters, cinema would get a lot of the blame for that. But would it hurt Mark Kelly? Um, obviously, he's he's going to be up in a midterm election. It seems like uh, I think with Mark Kelly, he's got a lot of money, um, and he's been he stays very quiet as well. You know, he, I think he tries to avoid speaking on on kind of controversial issues where he doesn't have to. You know, just to just to kind of, I guess, protect himself from criticism or scrutiny. So he's kind of a, a mystery, too, in in some ways. Um, he, he, they, both cinema and, and Kelly ran as centrists. And, that, and that's maybe a point I should I make as well. When cinema ran for office, or ran for the Senate in 2018, she ran uh, kind of as an independent, basically, said she'd work with anybody um, to get things done. And that's kind of what she's doing in office, you know nobody i guess i guess in retrospect nobody really believed her when she what, what she was saying but she she's turned out to talk the talk and walk the walk in, in office uh you know the republicans at the time of course were saying you know no she's not she's really a liberal and i guess uh, a lot of the democrats assumed she probably would would you know fall in line with the, with the rest of the party uh in office as well
0: Clearly, the the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. I um, mean, every time you see a headline with uh, Kirsten Cinema's name on it, uh, you know it's going to be a negative story about her. But back home, you think she's following what she promised? You know, she's doing what she promised she would do in 2018.
1: Yeah, no, she very much is. So I think back home, it, 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 the attitude towards her is much different
0: than uh, you
1: see in the in the national political press, for sure. And I think that's probably why she's not really phased by a lot of the criticism. So, yeah, the the Arizona, you know, progressive Democrats are not happy with her at all. But, I, you know, I don't think it, it, in, in a reelection, general election, I don't think she needs to worry about about this at all. I think it helps her. So complaints yeah.
0: complaints from progressives may be worn by her as a badge of honor.
1: Right. I think so. For I think for sure. Right.
0: Dan Nowicki is a national political correspondent for the Arizona Republic. Dan, thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, thanks a lot, Ken. to imagine, but there was once a time when a politician would say something false or controversial or downright crazy, and there would be consequences. It would actually hurt the candidate at the ballot box. These days, of course, are another story. The more insane things get said, the more support the candidate seems to get. But let's go back a few years before down was up and up was down. In 2012, in Missouri... Democratic Senator Claire McCaskill was in trouble in her bid for a second term. Her closeness with President Obama was dragging her down in a state that was rapidly moving from purple to bright red. Her own approval ratings were in the low 40s. Her vote for the Affordable Care Act was unpopular. And there was a growing controversy over her failure to pay taxes on her family's private plane that she used for political purposes and that her campaign charged to her Senate account. McCaskill not only won that race, she did so in a landslide. There are many reasons for that, but perhaps most paramount was when her Republican opponent, the anti-abortion Congressman Todd Aiken, was asked during an interview about the possibility of an exception in the case of rape. Here's the question from KTVI's Charles Jaco and the response from Aiken okay so if
1: if an abortion could be considered in a case of say a tubal pregnancy or something like that what about in the case of rape should it be legal or not well you know uh uh, people always want to try and make that as one of those things well how do you how do you slice this particularly Mm -hmm. tough sort of ethical question it seems to me first of all from what i understand from doctors that's really rare if it's a legitimate rape uh, the female body has ways to try to shut that whole thing down. But let's assume that maybe that didn't work or something.
0: Aiken never recovered. Alongside President Ford's There's No Soviet Domination of Eastern Europe, or Michael Dukakis getting into a tank, or the infamous Oops by Rick Perry, legitimate rape became part of the lexicon known as the worst campaign gaffes in history. Todd Aiken died last week. He was seventy four years old and had long been suffering from cancer. Joe Mannis had known Aiken as well as McCaskill for many years. Joe's a semi retired political reporter with Saint Louis Public Radio, spent decades at the St. Louis Post Dispatch, and remembers that twenty twelve Senate race as if it were yesterday. Joe, it's great having you back on the political junkie. Well, thanks so much for asking me. When when the news broke last week about Aiken's passing, I'm sure the words legitimate rape popped into the head of every political junkie in the country.
2: Yes, there's no question. I mean, that became like a national issue. And it even sucked in some other Republican candidates in other states who were asked their opinion of it. But, yeah, this was um, an interesting case, especially because I'd known both of the candidates for decades from covering other races or dealing with them when they were in um, state office.
0: Is it fair to say that, you know, this had been a race that many thought the Republicans were going to take with ease?
2: Well, it depended on the day. (laughs) Some days they thought so. Some days they weren't sure. Uh, I mean, there were three Republicans who were vying for the right to take on McCaskill that fall. And actually, she believed that Aiken would be the weakest. So actually, she ran some ads close to that primary. In which she was saying that um Aiken was too conservative for Missouri, that sort of thing, in order to help him in the primary, because she figured he'd be easier to beat than um the other two, which was John Bruner and Sarah Steelman. Well, it turned out she was right, although it may not have had anything that happened before he made that infamous comment to Charles Jacob,
0: But, you know, it's, it's interesting. You're absolutely right. I mean, I remember her going on TV and saying, boy, that Todd Aiken is too conservative. And, of course, that sends a signal to conservative voters saying, wow, Todd Aiken may be the guy I want to vote for.
2: Yeah, I mean, and Aiken had a following. He had a big following among homeschoolers, which are sort of a major political force in parts of Missouri, especially rural Missouri. And he also was big with evangelicals. I mean, Aiken had uh, a, a religious degree as well as an, as an engineer. And he could be really passionate about these issues, like on the stump or when you talk to him.
1: We can count on Todd Aiken to stand up to Barack Obama and the Washington liberals because he has a proven record of doing just that. Todd Akin wants to rebuild the American dream so every son and daughter can walk in the bright sunshine of freedom, liberty, and prosperity. The courage to lead. Todd Akin, for United States Senate.
2: He really believes this stuff. I mean, you run across some politicians then, and especially now, who privately don't agree with what they're saying for whatever reason. They're just saying stuff because they think that helps. Aiken really believed this. I mean, whether it was accurate or not, I mean, I'm just saying, he believed it. He thought it was true. He thought it was true that women who um, were raped, were legitimately raped, were less likely to get pregnant because of stuff he had read, and he, he believed it. And I think that sets him apart a bit from some of these other candidates, especially now, who sometimes say things publicly that they don't believe privately.
0: And let's not forget, at the same time, um, McCaskill was, uh, was, was vulnerable. Remind us what made her so vulnerable.
2: Yes. I mean, part of it, you're absolutely right. Uh, after the 2010 vote on the Affordable Care Act, which, frankly, I don't think Democrats really explain very well what the program is, because now it's, you know, popular, very popular 10 years later. But at the time, you know, the uh, conservatives had done, I think, a better job of laying out their opposition and whipping up passionate opposition. And there was – she had to have police at some of her events because there would be hundreds and, in some cases, thousands of people show up and scream at her the whole time. I covered a couple of those, and uh, they were scary. So you had a sense, and she knew this, that – She had a target on her back, I mean, political target on her back. And uh, because of that, and after uh, the Democrats had those huge losses in Congress in in the 2010 election, after the Affordable Care Act was approved, she recognized that she had trouble. And she also spent a lot of time traveling around rural Missouri trying to bolster her support. And uh, she tried it again in 2018 and that, that was a different story different candidate different time but in 2012 missouri was still i think on the cusp we still had a very popular democratic governor Mo- democrats held most of the statewide offices and they actually won them in uh, 2012 so while she was being hammered over a few issues she had a lot of Democratic company who were kind of helping her on the state level. And uh, 2012 was really the last time uh, in that fall that Missouri voters elected a bunch of Democrats to state offices, and, and including her reelection. I mean, from 2016 on, it was a totally different
0: story. Yeah, it's definitely gone. I mean, once upon a time, I always remember Missouri being the the ultimate bellwether state that it was, you know, it was hard to say which way it would go, and now it's decidedly Republican.
2: Right. Yes. I mean, things could change again or something, but uh, 2012 was sort of the last time that Democrats were able to um, surmount all that. And I also think, though, that some people don't um, focus on this enough. This was the one campaign... Where she really focused on reproductive rights and the abortion issue, and if you look at the vote totals uh, that that happened in that November, um, over well over 100,000 people voted for Mitt Romney for president in Missouri, but voted for her for the U.S. Senate. So she sort of set up this wave that helped the Democrats running below her. So I really believe that a lot of those switchers, now you, n- you never know for sure, but there are many who believe that many of those switchers were suburban women, were Republican women who were maybe moderates and voted for Romney, but couldn't stomach Aiken and voted for her. And then many of them then continued voting for Democrats down the ballot.
0: After Aiken made his comment about legitimate rape, He became a punchline to the rest of the country. Um, Both President Obama and Mitt Romney shared their disdain.
1: The views expressed were offensive. Rape is rape. His comments about about rape uh, were deeply offensive. And um, I can't defend uh, what he said. I can't defend him.
0: Joe, it, it seemed like Aiken didn't know what hit him.
2: Yeah, especially because there was a lot of Republicans in the state, including Roy Blunt, who is uh, at that point, I mean, he, he's a longtime Republican official in Missouri, had gotten elected to the U.S. Senate just two years earlier. And, uh, you know, he was among those who came out and said that Aiken needed to resign. There was a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes efforts in Missouri and nationally to get him out and replace him with some other candidate that they thought would could potentially handily defeat McCaskill. And Aiken dug in his heels about that. He uh, tried to get some Republican consultants from other states to help him out. Yeah, he didn't know what hit him, because I think that's the thing that that really shocked him. There was a number of Republican officials who um, didn't come to his aid. In fact, they told him to get out of the way. And one thing that's interesting is after he died last week, none of those officials put out any comments. Virtually only a only a couple politicians issued any statements after Aiken died.
0: I noticed that Clara McCaskill was among those who did mourn his passing
2: yeah well I mean and she said sort of what I recent just said a few minutes ago her Twitter comment of course she condolences to her to his family, but she pointed out that she said you know he really believed this stuff, and so I did respect him for that, even though she staunchly disagreed with it. But again, it was very interesting that hardly anybody said anything. I still am not quite sure why. I mean, the state Republican Party didn't put out any statement. Nobody did. I'm not quite sure why, or whether it's kind of lingering uh, resentment, feeling that if he had just cooperated, they could have put somebody else up. I, I know who they were talking about at the time. That they thought could have um defeated McCaskill, and they might have been right, who knows we'll never know
0: i know I know you covered him for many years did Did you ever talk to him about this subject?
2: Yes, in fact, about two years later in twenty fourteen he put out a book, and he actually i talked to him at length actually interviewed him, and his point then was, okay, he had had to issue an apology in twenty twelve in an attempt to get his campaign back on track. And, well, he didn't apologize for for what he said he meant, but he did apologize for how he said it. He finally agreed to do that. Well, in 2014, when he put this book out, his point was that had been a mistake and that he still did believe this, you know, about rape victims, and that he should have just stuck to his position. That was his position in 2014. He believes that if he had just stuck to his guns more and not bent to Republicans who told him to at least apologize, that he thinks he might have fared better at the polls. I mean, McCaskill beat him by almost 15 percentage points. So he really believed that he had been wronged by the Republican establishment, and they'd also folded a little bit when he shouldn't have. And I thought that in some ways was classic Aiken. I'd known him since the 80s. And the thing about Aiken was that he believed what he believed, and he really believed it.
0: Let me ask you a final question about about how politics has changed in Missouri. Um, Bill Clinton carried the state twice. Uh, Claire McCaskill won two Senate races. These days, it feels like Democrats would be hard-pressed to carry the state in a presidential election or even win a Senate election. Um, is that a fair assessment? Yes,
2: that's a very fair assessment. Part of it is the Democratic Party has really been weakened. Some of it was because of their surprise losses in 2016, when, you know, Trump's first stint for president. And Trump won so strong by, you know, roughly 16 percentage points um, over Hillary Clinton in the state. And the Clinton people had pretty much pulled out everything. So in 2016, the Democrats thought they were going to be able to hold on to the governorship because they had what they thought, who they thought was a very popular figure, Chris Coster, who was a former Republican who had switched parties uh, before the 2008 election and who was the attorney general, and had looked like he was going to handily win uh, for governor. But then as things collapsed, for the Clinton campaign and other Democrats, it took cost or with it. After that, it seemed like the Democratic Party in the state just sort of collapsed. They've had you know, trouble on the organizational level. They've had more trouble recruiting people. In the U.S. Senate race, our former governor, Eric Greitens, who was ousted over a sex scandal, is considered the front-runner for the Republican nomination. And it's unclear if he wins, if there's going to be a Democrat strong enough to take him out. Uh, I mean, all the fights on the Republican side with his challengers, and it seems like the Democrats are pretty much just bystanders watching the uh, circus. It's it's totally, I'm not sure if the Democrats are going to be able to recover, at least not in the short term. It's going to be a while. If Todd Akin had had that issue now, Um, I think he would have weathered it pretty easily.
0: Joe Manis is, as she calls it, a semi-retired political journalist. How are you semi-retired? I mean, how do you do that? How do you walk away from it?
2: Well, I have three little granddaughters who live close by. And uh, I also worked my tail off for over 40 years. And at some point, you're like, you know, I got other things I want to do. I do some, but it's just uh, I try to... Focus on other things in my life. We only got a few years on this earth, and I want to spend them doing other things, although I do love politics.
0: Uh, Joe Mattis uh, spent decades at the St. Louis Post Dispatch as well as uh, years at St. Louis Public Radio. Joe, it was just great talking to you again.
2: Well, thanks for asking me. I really enjoyed this. am a, a believer couldn't I
0: That's it for this week's show. Don't forget you can always find my political blogs, trivia questions and the political junkie store all at krpoliticaljunkie.com. If you've got comments, questions, or complaints, send an email to ken at krpoliticaljunkie.com. You can also tweet me at Ken Rudin or shoot me a message on the show's Facebook page. And you can follow my button of the day on Instagram at The Political Junkie. Political Junkie is made possible thanks to the support of our listeners and donors. Your generous contributions are most appreciated. Keep them coming at krpoliticaljunkie.com slash donate. I'm Ken Rudin. Thanks for listening. Please be safe. I'll see you soon.